occupants. And very simply, it's an intentional uh, series of teaching to try and remind us what we don't want in the church and what we do want in the church. And the amazing thing is that many churches never ask this question and never minister on it. And they wonder then why sometimes there are things in the church that they don't want and there aren't things in the church that they do want. But the thing is, we talked about what we need to keep out. Four things that we believe that God's given us a revelation on, not because we're anything special, but as you read the Gospels, you read that religion, rejection, offense, and control came against the Savior on many occasions. And if it came against him as he was ministering in the Gospels, we shouldn't be surprised that it seeks to come against us. As we said at the time, imagine your own home. And somebody was threatening tonight to come and burgle your house. Don't worry, it's not a prophetic word. Um, but um, somebody was coming tonight, and you just said, yeah, I'll tell you what, mate, just come through. Tell you what you want. Just ransack the place. It's okay, I'll just let you come in. You wouldn't do that. You'd be guarding your house, and uh, you'd be wanting to keep at bay things that you didn't want to intrude. It's exactly the same with the church. And uh, so this church is not a religious church. Um, it's a church that wants to live in the reality of the power of God, in the power of the Spirit. It's not a rejecting church. It's not a church that jumps into a fence every five minutes and you're walking towards people thinking, what are they going to be like tonight? It's not a sort of church. And it's not a controlling church. And so we want to keep that out. But then more positively, we talked about what we want to let in. And uh, we have that little description of the behaviors of the church. So we talked about discipleship and aspiration with Josh a couple of weeks ago. We talked about team and unity, a sense of togetherness. And then last week, Andy and Christian tagged off each other and they talked about faith and passion. By the way, if you're wondering where Christian is, he's on his way back from Hungary and uh, he couldn't get back in time for the meeting. But him and Josh and Nathan Butcher have been out there since Thursday just doing some ministry and they land back at East Midlands about nine o'clock. And uh, Christian's a passionate man, isn't he? He doesn't only speak about passion. Uh, he, he sort of communicates it. And we got it. We got it last week, as well as being inspired by faith. And tonight, um, Robert, if that verse can go up, Lamentations in the Old Testament. Um, not the easiest book to read. And if you've read through Jeremiah before it, um, then you'll find that it's not also an easy read, but we need to try and seek to apply ourselves to these books. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and he wept over his people who refused to turn back to God, and eventually God uh, sent a judgment on them, and Lamentations is exactly that. It's a lament. No bagpipes in the background, but a lament, and he said, but these wonderful words that have been a blessing to so many people so often, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions or his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed. For his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There have been songs that have been inspired by that. Thank you, Robert. We'll put the heading up. And tonight, I want to talk for a few moments. And I'm going to try and sort of bind it together. We want discipleship in the house. We want a spirit of aspiration in the house. We want team and unity in the house. We want faith and passion in the house. 
And tonight I want to remind us also that we want generosity and mercy in the house of God. These values reflect the very heart of God. And if you've never managed to access our DNA booklet, then we're in the process out of this series of uh, revamping that in terms of cover and title. Uh, but the content within it, we feel, is well worth a read. And it speaks there of generosity and mercy. Generosity being a readiness and liberality of giving. God's not called us to stinginess because he's a generous God. That's why we're here tonight. Because of his great mercies that never fail, we're not consumed. And in that booklet, you'll read about being generous with your words, generous with your time, generous with your resource. You know, the spirit of generosity is so vital. I, I think sometimes that preachers and, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of almost have to crowbar stuff out of people. Um, and they've never wrestled with the, with, the, with, the, with the truth of allowing generosity to come into the church. I mean, we believe in tithing in the church. But with respect, friends, if it's a struggle for you to buy somebody a latte at Starbucks, you're hardly likely to give 10% to the Lord. You know, it's a journey. If you find it difficult to say please and thank you, that was great. If you're one of those people who say, oh, I can't tell the preacher was great, you might get swollen-headed. That's not an occupant of Arena Church. Because let me tell you, the preachers won't get swollen-headed. They're just going to be encouraged. They're just be encouraged. Don't be mean with your please and your thank yous. That was great. And it gets us to a place where we gladly give to the Lord generosity of spirit. And we thank God for the generosity of heart and spirit that pervades in this church. We could have done this. A couple of years ago, there were guys doing a day's work and then doing a day's work. Because we all pitched up here about five or past five and went through to whatever time and the nights were light. And they didn't seem sort of ten or past ten at night when we were still going generosity of time incredible season to get us into this place so you still got not them tiles sorted out no we, we we're nearly there you're going to come in one sunday and those tiles are going to be back in place and it's never going to rain in here ever again isn't that amazing and paul has been amazingly generous with his time in connecting with the contractor to make that happen it's not just happened thank you paul and uh, so we live with generosity and we're blessed by an amazingly generous God who has poured his love upon us. And then what about mercy? Well, the definition of mercy is simply compassion for the guilty. Micah in the Old Testament says, he has showed the old man what is good. And what does the law require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? It reminds us in the Old Testament also, that in wrath, God remembered mercy. <clears throat> and James in the New Testament says that mercy triumphs over judgment. The psalmist says, Lord, if you'd kept a record of our sins, who could stand? You've been so merciful. You've been so forgiving. You've been so compassionate to us when we were guilty. How much more should we be merciful unto others? And so I thought for a, few, I thought for a little time, I thought, how do I align these two Great values together in our cultural behaviors of Arena Church and give us a lesson to imbibe and think about and act upon by God's grace in the days ahead. 
I thought, well, I'll tell a story. And uh, better still, I'll tell a Jesus story. It's what we often call a parable. And a parable is, in essence, an earthly, everyday story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. And Jesus often told stories in the Gospels. He was a brilliant storyteller because he was a brilliant communicator. And when he used stories, often he used exaggeration, hyperbole. He stretched it to to make the story work. And we've not time tonight to read this story, but I'm just going to give it to you very briefly. And if you get a chance, I encourage you to read Matthew 18, 21 to 35 sometime this week. Because really, it binds together tonight the truths of mercy and generosity. And so Jesus tells this story. And in the context, it's about forgiveness. And he says to the disciples, or rather Peter says to him, Lord, how many times shall we forgive our brothers and sisters? Um, Up to seven times. And Peter, in his own inimitable way, thought he was doing really well because... The rabbinical teaching of the day was you had to forgive somebody three times. So I thought, well, I'll double it and add another one. How about that? Seven times. The Lord says, no, Peter. Wrong again. (laughs) It's 70 times seven. If you're good at maths, that doesn't mean that when you get to 491, you can clock off on forgiveness. It simply means that Jesus was talking about a limitlessness to our forgiveness. And he told a story. He told a story, like many of the stories of the Gospels, that aren't always easy for us to immediately uh, react and respond to in our Western culture of 2,000 years later. But in Eastern times of the first century, would have sat very easily with the people in their understanding. There was a king. And the king was settling his accounts with his subjects. And he found out that somebody owed him a huge debt So he says, call the man before me. And he says that the man was called before him. And uh, he was reminded that he he owed this amazing debt. The Bible describes it in different ways. 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. But in today's terms, it was a multi-million pound debt. And the king says, I want you to pay it back. Now, we're going to go on and switch the news on tonight to find out whether Greece have decided to pay this debt back. It ain't going to happen, is it? I mean, they've only got till tomorrow, is it? But they found themselves with this huge debt. And people said, we'd like our money back. Has anybody found that sometimes when you've got a debt, people like the money back eventually, you know? And it's not a nice place to be when you don't feel that you're in a position to pay it back. So the man pleaded for patience. And he begged before the Lord. He says, Lord, be patient with me and I'll pay back what I owe you. But the king, with amazing mercy, says, the debt is cancelled. You can go, you're free. What do you just love? Mr. Halifax, building society, to say that tomorrow morning. You know what? You don't got to pay your mortgage anymore, it's yours. Oh, wouldn't that be great? That car loan, you know, it's okay, mate, you can have it. Oh, wouldn't that be great? The debt was free. The man leaves the room of the king and he bumps into a fellow servant colleague and the Bible, as I say, using extremes, 
said that this man owed him a hundred denarii or a hundred coins. The commentators rank and it was about five pounds. So he's been, he's been forgiven millions. Somebody owes him a fiver and he says, hey, you owe me a fiver. And the man says, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he says that he got him by the throat. And in those days, like even in days of not too distant old in this country, often if you didn't pay the debt, you found yourself imprisoned. Well, people were observing this. They looked on, they'd seen what the king had done to the servant and then what the servant had done to his fellow servant. And news got back to the king. And the man was brought before the king again. He says, you've been a wicked man. I forgave you a great debt. Should you have forgiven your fellow servant? And he says that there was a, a place of torment and imprisonment. So what I want us to think about in the next few minutes before we close off the night is that mercy and judgments often sits in a context of whether we release forgiveness or whether we hold unforgiveness. I want to tell you tonight, friends, that unforgiveness places us often in a place of imprisonment and torment, not literally, but internally in our hearts. And it's not a place that Arena Church wants to go to because we want to live with the behaviors of mercy and generosity. And so three things about forgiveness, briefly. Number one, forgiveness received. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 that we have received forgiveness. We have been cleansed and released of an unpayable debt. You say, well, I've never owed anybody anything in my life. No, the Bible says that if you've done wrong, and we all have, and it's defined as sin, missing the mark, we have a debt before a holy God that is utterly unpayable. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to treat as though the offense or the sin has not been committed. And God looked into this earth 2,000 years ago and realized that it needed a savior, Jesus. He saw all of the world that he gave his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we're here tonight, friends, as Christians, not because we're anything special, but because a special, amazing, awesome God has broken into ordinary lives. And we know we're forgiven. I wonder if you can remember the day when you knew that you were forgiven. Maybe you walked home from church having listened to a message. Maybe somebody prayed with you over a cup of tea or a coffee. Maybe you was in an, an afternoon meeting somewhere. But you knew the day that you found Jesus and you walked away and that great big load of guilt went whoosh. It had gone. And it had gone forever. And as you've grown in your faith, you realize that God's not keeping calling you to keep account for it because he's forgotten about it. He's buried your sins, the Bible says, in the deepest sea, never to be remembered anymore. You say, that sounds amazing. Well, that's why we're here. It's called the good news, the gospel of God. That Whatever we've done, God comes to us and says, I will forgive you, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus paid the price satisfy the justice of the Lord, the holiness of God. And as we stand in him, we are completely and utterly forgiven. We're not only forgiven of sin's past, but we're forgiven of sin's present. Isn't it an awful sort of realization that when you come to understand that even though you're a Christian, you can still do things wrong? 
Has anybody done, anybody done anything wrong this week? Sorry, I'm not asking you to confess. But the thing is, we're human. We're full. You see, because sin can be that, you know, sign to somebody in the car, you know, that caught you up. I mean, yesterday, I am indicating, I'm coming around a bus, this guy goes, oh! I didn't give him a sign, but I wasn't very pleased, you know. <laughs> it was obvious I was coming out. He was coming through, come what, and he, he, I looked across, he was a big fellow as well, so I thought, let's move on. Reactions. We're assailed with things at times we'd rather not look at in a visual world. It's hard to keep your heart pure at times. So we realize that forgiveness is not only past forgiveness, it's present. And there's a verse in the Bible that sometimes we quote for unbelievers, but it's for believers. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need to go to anybody else but the Lord's forgiveness. And then everything in the future is taken care of. Now, there's some weird teachings around today about extreme grace that says that whatever you, you basically can live as you like and it's taken care of. The Bible doesn't teach that. It really doesn't. Because it says that if we're in him, we don't continue or habitually sin. But if we get it wrong, because we're human, because we're fallible, God's got it sorted. It's amazing, this forgiveness. And tonight, if you've never become a Christian, if, you've, if you're living with that weight of unforgiveness over you, shame and guilt and failure, it really can roll away in the power of Jesus. <clears throat> forgiveness has never been at the expense of justice, but it was met in the Lord. And tonight, I encourage you to believe it, to receive it, to apply it and to live it. We want people in Arena Church to live free, to live liberated lives, to find the spacious, expansive places of God that sit over every one of us. Briefly, forgiveness released. Because <clears throat> it talks in Ephesians 4.32 about forgiving one another. And Jesus, at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses that we don't often read, says that if we withhold forgiveness, we're in danger of impeding forgiveness. Now, I'm going to tread very carefully for the next moment or two. Because I realize that in the journey of life, many of us can go through bumpy times. And it's difficult to find a place of releasing forgiveness. Let's consider for a moment why we find it hard to forgive. Well, number one, because we don't see the need to. We're immune from it. If I can use the word sensitively and carefully, we're ignorant to the principle. We've, we've never realized that we ought to go there. And then, of course, sometimes it's because we don't want to. We feel better for holding on to unforgiveness. It actually makes us feel better. Because that person did that to me. And then sometimes it's because we feel that forgiveness means inevitably that we've got to immediately forget and it seems impossible. Well, listen to this quote from someone that's on death row in Connecticut, the USA, and has found Jesus Christ on the journey, even though death sentence still sits over him and he's processing forgiveness to his mother. He says, forgiveness is not forgetting. We are taught from an early age to forgive and forget. However, there is often, this is often not realistic and is not valuable. It would be nice to be able to turn back the clock and erase the unpleasantness of our past. 
but it just isn't possible. The real trick isn't to forget the past, but to learn from the past and to try to use it to help yourself and others both now and in the future. As someone says, time's not the healer, forgiveness is. Forgiveness is. This prisoner goes on to say, forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the past was okay or not so bad. We were hurt. It was painful. And it affected our lives. Forgiveness allows us to deal with the past in a more effective manner that doesn't minimize the past, but rather minimizes the effects of that painful past on the present and our future. It in no way denies, justifies, or condones the original harm done to us in the past. Let me be clear tonight. Forgiveness, friends, is not going easy on sin. But when Jesus found the lady caught in adultery, and forgive me, I don't want to be overly graphic, but it's almost certain that she was found literally naked. He says, go on sin, no more. But you're forgiven. Forgiveness, friends, is not waiting to feel right about it because we might be waiting a long time. You can make the right decision and still have the wrong feeling. Somehow it will have an impact upon the feeling. And forgiveness is not a sign of weakness that somehow you've caved in and he was okay with the other person anyway. C.S. Lewis says that everybody thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they have to do it. And of course that is absolutely true. But in Arena Church, friends, we find increasingly that God wants to dig deep in our lives. He doesn't want us just to come and Go through the motions of a Sunday service. He literally wants to shape us and change us and mold us. And this is a powerful principle. Just over a week ago, a week last Sunday, sorry, a week last Wednesday, there was a Bible study group in Charleston, Virginia. As, as usual, the pastor turned up. He prepared his message. He was laying the word of God into people's hearts. When a crazed gunman called Dylan Roof decided to sit there for an hour, and then shoot eight people plus the pastor into eternity. It came onto the news screens. We were horrified, just as Andy led us tonight in praying uh, for the victims of the Tunisian uh, atrocity this last few days. But then the story began to get overtaken. It began to get overtaken, not by the wickedness of Dylan Roof, but by the amazing forgiveness of the bereaved families. I don't know when any of you saw the news where this lad stood before them and in American way, they sort of gave this testimony, you know, and they spoke about the pain, the anguish, the loss. But we forgive you. It was amazing. It got us to the place, friends, where the President of the United States led amazing grace in the church on Friday. And if you've not seen that on YouTube yet, you need to go home tonight and see the President seeing that grace triumphed in an awful, terrible situation. I was overwhelmed, moved in my very inner being at the amazing response of God-loving people that release forgiveness. I wonder if there's something that's locked you up for years, something that's tormented your soul, something that you've never been able to let go of. And by the way, you don't want to let go of because you feel better in unforgiveness and maybe God's bringing you to a confrontational place in your life to say you know what if you're going to really go forward in me 
If you're going to advance the kingdom, if you're going to be all that I've intended you to be, you not only do you need to realize you've received it, but you need to release it. You say, Phil, I can't. I can't let it go. As one preacher says, <clears throat> when we can't let it go, we come to God and ask him to help us to let it go. Finally, forgiveness renewing. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on the new self, being renewed, forgiving one another. Jesus illustrated that unforgiveness brings a binding, and so it does. It can bring a binding to our lives. It can bring a binding to a church. You can walk into some churches and you feel you've just arrived at the North Pole. Whoa, what is going off here? He's had a succession of pastors through the church. It can never seem to break through in worship. There's no sort of sense of joy and passion. And then you start to trace it back. Two generations ago, there were two families at war in the church. It was over how the lettuce was put out at the convention tea. It seemed serious at the time, but most things start on triviality. But then it got passed on to the daughters who've never spoken to each other. And now it's passed on to the grandkids who still didn't get on. And the church are turning up and praying for revival. It ain't going to happen. Forgiveness needs to flow. And friends, we need to continually guard any sense of unforgiveness in the church. We've made a pact in the eldership that if we get it wrong publicly, we'll ask for forgiveness publicly. If there's something indiscreet that's said at times or a promise that clearly hasn't been fulfilled or something that compromises the integrity of the church, and sometimes it can be a one-off statement, you can get carried away, We'll bring it back to the church and ask for forgiveness. Not an easy thing to do. On a couple of occasions, God's put me in exactly that place at times. But to make sure that the flow of forgiveness is like a stream that continually pours refreshingly through the church. What about unforgiveness in a community? 30 years ago, there was a minor strike in this area. Some of you can still remember it. Not only miners against the authorities, and I don't want to go into the politics, please, you know, don't. But the fact is, it was brother against brother, brother against dad. And over the last 30 years, there are people that have gone to the grave, and they've never been able to navigate forgiveness with either those that went on strike or those that went back to work. And I speak over Mansfield tonight, so Mansfield. Whatever's tried to bind us through that history, we release it in the heavenlies. And we pray that people will find an increased sense of being able to forgive one another in Jesus' name. And of course, forgiveness can sometimes come across a nation. And in an earlier context during the day, I mentioned President Nelson Mandela. And when they tried to find the new day of his presidency, they had forums of reconciliation. See people that would have done terrible things coming to tables and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And God is a reconciling God, friends. And all these truths sit together under the beautiful behavioral spirit of mercy and generosity. I ask us tonight to freshly commit 
to be renewed afresh in our forgiveness so that we'd be blessed and not bitter, renewed and not resentful, growing and not diminishing. Arena Church, this is something of what we need to draw upon as God helps us to apply it to our lives. Let's continue to live out the journey of being what God has caused us to be, keeping at the door the things that don't need to be in and embracing the wonderful truths and principles of the kingdom that need to come right to the very center of what God has caused us to be. And mercy and generosity sit at the very heart of that. And from the Jesus story tonight, reminding us that forgiveness is received, forgiveness is released, and forgiveness continually needs to be renewed. And whenever we're tempted, sometimes I am, to push back on that, we remind ourselves of the amazing words of the Lord Jesus Christ, or rather of the word of God. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray.